Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. So hi, all you BTK fans. Uh, We're here continuing our line of leadership and other potential opportunities outside of clinical medicine. And I'm really pleased to have one of my good friends and a repeat guest here on Behind the Knife, Dr. Bradley J. Chamban. Brad, thanks for joining us on BTK. Hey, thanks, Scott. Great to be on again. Good evening. So we are actually going to talk a little bit outside of kind of the normal routine things that we talked in the past. And it's really about you know, what are their opportunities essentially inside of medicine, inside of surgery, but more along the lines of leadership? And can you talk a little bit about, you know, in addition to being a busy colorectal surgeon, your role of what it stands right now as chief medical officer of a, of a large hospital? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the, you know, sometimes, you know, I refer to this as kind of accidental leadership. Um, and at currently at the moment, I know my primary leadership job is as chief medical officer of Fairview Hospital. It's a Cleveland Clinic's West Region kind of hub hospital. Yeah, about a 450, 500-bed hospital. And you know, prior to that, I was at a leadership job here at the at the clinic on the west side as well as a department chair for our surgery. Um, and then uh, within our institute, um, I lead DDSI for our all operations for our, for our West Region. So it's kind of just a, a combination of leadership jobs um, it really kind of evolved from having a, a career in surgery and education prior to that. So, Brad, one of the things about any job opportunity, especially that in leadership, is that feeling of, do I have the skill set to be able to do that? So, as you kind of progress and along in that, you know, tell us a little bit about that journey. And 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 was this on the job training? Is this something that you need to have an MBA for? I mean, what is your thoughts on that matter? Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, I think. Uh, I don't think there's a formula, you know, I think I just say that out of the gate, the, I, one of the things that I've always wanted to do was whatever I was doing in the moment was immerse myself, you know, and do it to the absolute best of my ability. So if it's in the operating room, you know, do clinical surgery, taking great care of patients, but along those lines, you know, I, I tried to migrate towards people, um, that I admire, uh, both for their leadership skills. And I watched the folks and leaders that had a lot of influence uh, within the organization or within the department or within the hospital. And it looked fun. You know, to me, it looked like outside of surgery, you can continue to do a lot of a lot of operations. You can take great care of people. But at the same time, you really could expand, you know, your own skill set and aptitude to have broad influence within an organization, within a department, you know, within trainees. Um, you know, outside of that. And it wasn't like a specific calling per se, um, but I felt spending a lot of time around those individuals and asking a lot of questions. A lot of my mentors will probably tell you that I spent a lot of time in national meetings, after operating rooms, uh, at night, in phone calls, just asking a lot of questions. And then from those questions about healthcare, you know, about the finances of the healthcare, about education, uh, I would then read books learn things online and kind of just go unofficially do my homework. Um, so, you know, from my extent, a lot of it had to do with hospital operations, which are tied to finance. Um, so, you know, specifically I attach myself to different individuals with those skills. And whenever we get a couple kernels of information or learn something that I didn't know, um, then a lot of self-directed learning on top of that, 
Um, and, you know, I think things kind of evolve from there. So walk me through a little bit about what exactly is a CMO and, and tell me a little bit apart from your clinical and you still do have plenty of clinical duties. What does this, what does a week look like for a CMO? Sure. Yeah. So I think, the, um, you know, like a lot of things we in more now generationally, I think than ever, we want to try maybe it's our surgical nature or our organization being organized to a fault. We love to compartmentalize things, right? And you hear us talking all the time to surgeons, oh, I'm a point two, are you a point four? What percentage of CMO? And you're a leader, so you probably laugh at this, you know, as well. Now the answer is all the time, right? So we kind of create these little quote unquote FTE allotments to some extent that have some protected time to justify that time. Um, similar to your job, you know, as chair of this big department, uh, CMO is every day, you know, all day, right? And so the real simple, the simple uh, job, you know, for CMO, at least my hospital president, Neil Smith, when he pulled me in, you know, to do this, said, I want you to run it like you own it. And what he meant by that was our hospital, you know? And so with a CMO in a big system, we have to be intimately attached to all of the enterprise, you know, OKRs. And all of those key systemness components that exist within a Cleveland clinic and ensure that our hospital is performing at the highest level and meeting all those expectations set by the enterprise. And so that's probably number one. And a lot of the things naturally, quality, throughput, cost, finances, patient care, um, caregiver satisfaction follow when we follow the, follow the enterprise goal. But on top of that, each individual hospital has always had its own flavor. You know, it's a main campus Cleveland Clinic, different than our hospital at Fairview, different than Hillcrest. So a big part of what we do is how do we optimize our resources and ensure when patients come into our hospital that they're cared for, like they're a member of our family. And these days, it's a whole other aspect for that. I think that was kind of cliche forever. Well, let's just take care of everyone as if it's our family. That's 50% of the equation now. And then the second half, you know, which is less popular when we talk about patient care aspect is... And by the way, do it as efficiently as possible. Um, and that's just necessary. You know, that that absolutely has to be front of mind or that will limit our ability to continue to care and serve more patients. Um, as you know real well, as the reimbursement for what we do and um, significantly declines in the cost, not just with inflation, but cost of wages goes up. Our, our margins have dropped so much. So a huge part of what I do Monday to Friday is trying to not just optimize the quality, but really optimize efficiency of all services delivered in that building. That's the, kind of the simplest way you know I can put it. Brad, you know, you talked a lot, a lot of concepts there that, let's face it, during medical school, during residency, we're just not exposed to as physicians, surgeons, any type of physician. And so, you know, looking back, you know, if you are a trainee out there listening to this podcast who, uh, you know, is thinking, God, that, that actually sounds pretty interesting. Um, is, it, is it too late to get into it? Is there things you can do earlier to kind of set yourself up for? You mentioned some of the different resources you've tried to be able to do, but let's face it, at different stages of your career, you know, you're different at your stage of your career now versus other ones. And so coming up through the system, what advice do you have there? Yeah, um, that's great. So I think whenever... I think about that. I try not to take my story exactly, right? Because it's um, it's things that I think you can grasp from my leadership journey. But then, you know, what are the things that can apply to anyone, you know, at any time? You know, because it's going to be different place, different time, different location, geography for anybody else. When I think about that, I think 
one of the most valuable things for anyone is contextual intelligence, right? So that's almost earned intelligence by experiences, right? So it's it's not the stuff you're going to get out of a classroom. It's not the stuff from all that self-directed learning I talked about. It's just literally having your hands and ears and eyes in a huge variety of different circumstances. You know, I think our field in surgery lends itself to that. What I mean by that is, you know, by understanding the ins and outs of an outpatient practice, the ins and outs of covering, you know, when emergency room calls or taking call at night, taking care of cancer patients, going to tumor boards, taking care of the inpatient side of the house, react, uh, interacting with other physicians. You know, I think the more different aspects of healthcare that you know, and the point here is not really superficially know. If people go to clinic and they can sit down and the list of patients is in front of them, see them walk out the door. But if you start understanding how do those patients get to you, what's happening in that referring doctor's life by connecting with all those people and really getting detailed about how they come to your clinic, how do they leave your clinic, what happens, how do they go for that CAT scan, how do they go to that oncologist? So you kind of create this knowledge base of all areas of healthcare from an outpatient side. And if you apply that same kind of intellectual curiosity on the inpatient side of the house, should I order that test as an inpatient? Should I not? You know, one of my best examples is every physician, every surgeon, when they come in our office, that's a new service line. They kind of walk out, you know, with a little bit of a sparkle and say, hey, can this, by the way, can make the hospital a lot of money. And they, they walk out and then we sit down with the CFO. We sit down with the DRGs and CPT codes and we look at the expenses of the equipment and ask for like, yeah, that'll be a loss leader, but it's okay. You know, we, we got to grow that. So I think just at the simplest advice from all that is involve yourself in a lot of different facets of healthcare, a lot of different parts of whatever system, and not just on a superficial side, really peel back the onion and understand what's coming in, what's coming out the money that it's attached to attached to that, the operations that are attached to that, um, and start thinking innovatively of what that might look like next year, the year after that, and the year after that. Um, I think it's really critical to do that and then always ask yourself how you can get better. You know, how can how can we become not just we're always trying to strive to get better in the operating room. I think we're good at that. Um, how are we better from an efficiency standpoint? How are we better at our operations? How are we better at treating, you know, people well? Who's supporting us? Oh, they're giving us more RNs or MAs. Do we do we need all that? Right. So I think if you have that business minded approach going in, and you're able to also not take out the intimate aspect of caring for people, you never want the patient to feel that. The patient can. Ne- that's like the little secret. Right. You got to think that way, but the patient should never feel that or experience that from a quality level or a caring empathy level. Um, so it's just walking, walking that balance out is really key. Oh, Brad, I've heard people say, oh, they just can't do it anymore. They can't operate it. They become a suit. They become one of them. How, how yeah. do you, what are your thoughts on that? And, and, you know, how do you, how do you maintain, obviously you're still a surgeon, you're still a busy surgeon. I know firsthand, but, um, you know, what do you, what's your reaction to those type of statements? Yeah, I think that's the risk, right? So I think there's risk both ways. I, I, when I started more leadership positions, um, I was probably in too much clinical because I've just always defaulted to that. And then I started to miss, you know, important, you know, meetings where I think whether it's Zoom or Teams, I think that's helped the scenario. And the reason is 
now there's six people on a call, you know, and they're they're waiting for you, uh, you know, to be on that call. So I think the what's what's happened there for me is I tried to look at all the administrative side of the house first and said, what do I not have to do? Right. So what are the eighty percent of things that I what what administrative things do I have to do every day? And then which twenty percent kind of the old eighty twenty rule Pareto principle? Like what can I really delegate and I don't have to be for be at? And then if so by eliminating the administrative responsibilities down to things you have to be at, and then trying to be relentless about saying no um, to taking all things on clinical, you know, when they happen during those important meetings, it, it was just really hard to do. So I think after you do that, then outside of those set times, I think you have to remember that you're part of the team, you know, so I still take the same call as my, you know, three, now going out four partners take out here. We take the exact same call and, you know, I tell them, you know, I can take a phone call in the middle of the night and it's just as important for you to be awake the next day when you have a office full of patients or a full OR, you know, as you know, me for a meeting, I can be more tired of meeting, you know, so I can, I can take call at night. So I think that your team has to feel that you're doing the collective there, you know, of, of what the work is. And again, it really shouldn't read an FTE allotment, you know, when it costs to fall or, or things like that. What are your team's needs? How do you make sure that your job is not happening and is a detriment to their professional growth, um, that, you know, specifically your team? And then being mature enough, you do have an important meeting and people are on that call to say no, you know, to that you know, helping out maybe in that moment clinical or doing it later at night or a weekend. So a lot of the trainees and a lot of the junior people may be well-versed in the progression to, let's say, a department chair or something like that, but they may not be as well-versed in terms of how do you get to be something along the lines of a CMO. So can you talk a little bit about that growth? I know you said earlier that it was a little bit of accidental leadership, but by far there's some, you know, there's some positions or some things that, you know, you could say, yeah, that'd be a good thing to explore. What would those be? Yeah, so I think that I think you touched that earlier. I think that if, if you haven't had a unique um, experience with exposure to um, healthcare finance, um, I think you know there's an MBA or there's a it doesn't have to specifically be an MBA, but an EMBA. Um, there's executive healthcare MBAs. I think getting more exposure to that not only will make you more of an attractive candidate when that time comes, but I think you'll learn a lot of language. Um, that's coming um, up. Like, so when you're, re when you're learning about upside downside risk, you know, in CMS and you're looking at all the different P and L sheets that are coming through, you know, your ability to, con you know, consume them quickly, you know, it'll be much more read readily available for you. And those opportunities will come to you quicker. And for me, I, I hadn't had an MBA. So it was a, a lot of learning online about DNLs, a lot of sitting with CFO and sitting with operations folks, you know, at the clinic that lend me the time, but in other systems, you might not have that opportunity. You might not have a finance director or CEO that will just sit with your nauseum and go over ins and outs of direct and indirect expenses and how to break down all the different reimbursement codes that are attached to upside downside risk, risk share models, et cetera. Um, so I think it's important to figure out objectively on paper, not that there's a box yet to look good on a CV, but I think you'll learn a lot of language. Um, so I think that's one thing, having some training uh, in that as well. I think the other thing is uh, there's a few people, you know, frankly, there's probably three now that have asked me personally about, you know, what would the next CMO, you know, a fair view look like? 
how do they start learning and understanding that? And just by them asking me, I forward them probably four to five different spreadsheets per week or different learning modules that come my way. So I think by, as my advice there is to engage, you know, uh, CMOs, engage hospital leadership, engage other leaders you kind of identify with and ask them, you know, what they can share, you know, ask them what their advice is, ask them what books they read. Um, so I would do that. I would kind of start to know those people. Um, that are in those positions um, and obviously see what they do every day and if it's something you, you know, you want to be part of. What do you like most about the job? Um, from, a, from a pure, you know, CMO standpoint, I like the fact that I can have immediate influence in, in our hospital um, and, and in the healthcare system. So for me, I, I'm at my best um, when I'm doing meaningful work. Um, really meaningful, purposeful work. And I think I, I love our team around us, our hospital president, our CNO, our COO, and, and our finance director. We have such a tight core um, that we don't draw lines around our jobs. So I'm a CEO a lot of days, a CEO a lot of days, a hospital president a lot of days, and they're all CMO all the time. So I love that we all overplay to run this hospital to the best of our ability. I think so the team aspect is awesome. Um, the immediate impact of projects, hospital service line growth, and improving patient care, you know, in our walls. And I like that the Cleveland Clinic is a place that recognizes that. Uh, so when those things happen well, they don't always happen well, but when they do happen well, um, there's a lot of positive uh, feedback uh, for the team, which just, you know, encourages us to, to keep going and try to get better every day. Um, the last aspect, aspect, honestly, is that I'm learning all the time. Um, so I, it's it's nonstop learning. So I'm kind of getting this free education um, on the job, um, but you know, being paid to do it to the best of my ability. So it's 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 kind of fun. And what, if anything, has maybe surprised you about the job? Um, I think I'm surprised, even though we're huge. You know, we're a huge system, right? So I think I'm I'm surprised at how difficult at times, um, you know, large scale pro it should, this should be intuitive, right? So people, someone told me once, Hey, the Titanic, you know, pivots slowly, right? You know, it moves slowly, big ships don't turn slowly. So, you know, anyone that's been in a big system should know that per se. Um, sometimes it's hard to grasp, you know, when when bigger things have to happen, how long that can real t can really take? I understand it now. I didn't understand it, you know, before, but I truly understand why they do. Um, it's a brand, right? So we have to think very thoughtfully and safely through all these decisions. I think the thing is, my job is messaging that to be tempering the expectations of others on the ground who are extremely enthusiastic about wonderful ideas and innovative projects, and just trying to explain why they take. You know, time to develop. Um, so I think that um, you know pr probably is one of the bigger things. And then I think also the other thing is if coming out of the pandemic, uh, you know, more surprised just at the the amount of challenges we're having, you know, around the labor force. Um, I, I don't think I could have forecasted that, or a lot of people would have forecasted that. Um, I think that's that's our daily challenges, the cost the cost of the labor force and lack of availability uh, of workers outside of outside of physicians 
And as we wrap up here, final either thoughts or words of advice to people just about the whole idea of at a hospital level, leadership, CMO in particular, any other words there? No, I think, I think we covered a lot. I think, um, you know, involvement and sincerity go a long way. Uh, so I think the early on, um, I think probably three to four months in, you know, I was trying to, you know, rapidly learn a lot and be an administrator. And then I started almost daily, but on every other day rounding in the hospital. And objectively, I can't tell you anything that, that occurs there that I could put on a CV or, or put anywhere, but, and we do these 360s like everybody does at the clinic, but the feedback and some of these recent leadership courses and 360s I've had isn't about the projects. It isn't about the volume. It isn't about the efficiency. It isn't about the service line growth. All those things that I, you know, that I'm held accountable for, I hold myself accountable for. It's the comments of people saying, hey, we, we really appreciate you coming by, you know? So I think it's just a reminder. I think the more you can walk around, you know, a hospital and get to know everyone in the hospital, connect with everybody, stay involved in a real, you know, sincere way goes a long, long way. Well, Brad, in terms of just uh, a great opportunity to sit down and talk to you, I want to thank you on behalf of the BTK listeners and congratulations on all the success that you've had. And thanks so much. Great to see you. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.